Solomon, as was mentioned in the story, was the son of David and Bathsheba. He was the second son born to them, the first son having died because of God's punishment over them for their sin of betrayal and and adultery, and particularly David himself. And so Solomon was raised in this this environment. Uh, David expanded the kingdom. He was a warrior king, and so now there was a lot of peace, and this prosperity began to be in place. Everything that he did towards the end of his life, Solomon was geared, or David was geared towards giving Solomon a a head start on everything uh, that he had, resources and and a vision that he gave them for for building a temple. And and so Solomon was well prepared for this. Even, Even though this was the case, Bathsheba, while David was dying, went to his bedside and made him promise once again that he would give the kingdom to Solomon. And, of course, David did that. There was a lot of upheaval that came as a result of David's sin, as most of us know. But at the end of the day, one of the things that marked David's life was that he was a man after God's own heart. And even after he had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in his life, God still considered him to be a man who had done right uh, by the way he lived his life. So Solomon gets this big, big kingdom that David had developed. And God appeared to Solomon three times in Solomon's life. The first time was in a dream, came to him and he said, what do you need, Solomon? I will give you whatever you want. And, and Solomon said, I'm, I'm only a small child. I, I, I need a discerning heart and wisdom in order to, to rule this vast kingdom that has been placed under my Care. And so God was very pleased with this request of Solomon, and he granted him this wish of having a discerning heart and wisdom. And so the first uh, experience of knowing how Solomon's wisdom became known throughout the world at that time was this incident where two prostitutes came claiming the same baby. One prostitute's baby had died because she had rolled over and slept on it the night before and suffocated it. And the other, who uh, was willing to to give her baby up rather than to see that baby cut in two by Solomon. So his wisdom began to grow and his fame began to spread because of his knowledge and his wisdom. Also then, at the same time, he began to establish some alliances with the neighboring countries around him, and he set about trying to build the the temple that David had in mind and that that God had in mind as a place for God to reside. Because there still was not a temple building where God was going to be present, uh, they were still worshiping on what they called the high places. People would go up to the high hillsides, and they would still offer sacrifices and such on these high places around Jerusalem. And it wasn't the most God-honoring thing to do because there were other gods involved in these worship practices. But to get an idea of the scale of this temple, because I always thought of it as this enormous structure, uh, and really the surrounding area around it was, there was a colonnade, there was a courtyard, there were all these other things. But the temple of God itself was um, 30 by 90, so 3, 6, 9, 12, 
15, 18, 21, 24. So about from, from this point right here, it would fit inside this sanctuary. From about here to that wall, and then back was 90 feet that direction. And can you imagine that 180,000 workers were conscripted to work on this structure? It was a magnificent structure. Uh, and so it was incredible in uh, the way it was built. And he, uh, Solomon, in his wisdom and, and his knowledge, he, he developed and civilized this nation in, uh, in, in structures and in, uh, in trade back and forth with other countries and forming alliances. So he created this, this amazing place. And people came from far and wide including what they would say there's a reference to the Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament coming to see Solomon because she had heard of his wisdom. And they brought all these treasures to him. And every year he would get into his, sort of into his court, all of this gold. In fact, they said silver was, was so plentiful that it wasn't hardly anything more than like, worth anything more in their eyes than, than a sack of rocks. It, it, was, it was an opulence and a wealth and a kingdom that, that none of us in our day and time could even imagine. I don't think there's anything in existence in our world today that would compare to what Solomon built there and the people that came to see him and the people of fame who came to see him. So it was amazing. He wrote the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, and, and I encourage you, Proverbs, there are 31 Proverbs. So a lot of people, they'll read one chapter of Proverbs per day uh, and, and do that for a month. But one chapter of Proverbs per day. And if you guys would get into the book of Proverbs and read through that, it will give you the kind of guidance that you need for your own life. It's almost as though you have a chance to sit with Solomon himself and gain from his wisdom the things of life, how to live your life, how to spend your money, how to relate to people around you, how to have a good marriage. All those kinds of things are in the book of, of, of Proverbs. Solomon had all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge. He had this magnificent temple to God. His fame was going out to all the nations. He had expertise in all kinds of fields. Uh, he was the richest and the wisest king, obviously, I think, ever. He had military strength. And it also says that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Solomon, Solomon was probably the first one to have trophy wives. Let's put it that way. Um, his interest in, um, in beauty, in exotic things, uh, carried over into the women that he brought into his court and into his bed. He had, he, he just, it was all, he was dazzled by the world. He had a fascination with all that was around him. And of course, all of this was available to him. So he had women from all different types of places that were with him, but they also came from all kinds of different religious practices. So what, what was happening with Solomon was he was developing this great, great kingdom with all of this fame and fortune and wealth and wine and women and song and all the rest that goes along with that. And it began to bury him. The very thing that he was 
busy creating began to come over the top of him. Uh, God gave him that wisdom and that first appearance to him. When the temple was dedicated, it was a magnificent and glorious day because God came and he inhabited that temple and he gave a command to Solomon that he was to exclusively serve and love God himself and no other gods before God himself. So he was given that message as well. But the people in that kingdom uh, began to experience the very thing that the prophet Samuel warned the people about when they first wanted a king. When the people first wanted a king, and the first king of Israel was a man named Saul, but Samuel warned them, and he said, if you want a king, this is what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your sons who are going to be conscripted into labor and military. It's going to cost you uh, your, your fortunes. You're going to have to pay taxes to this great kingdom. It's going to cost you. So what's keeping all this going now are the, the people themselves. They're just not enough. As much as Solomon had in his court in terms of people and resources and everything else, as much as he had, there was always more to be had. There was always more to be had. He didn't ever let up. In fact, he continued to expand and expand and expand. And as a result of that ambition, it took more and more taxes from the people. It took more and more of their time and energy and resources. And also, as a result of that, the expectations that were placed on Solomon were great. Because, you know what? I think Solomon was something of a people pleaser. He was not able to establish some guidelines and some boundaries that he could fix in place that would guide himself. He had all this wisdom, but he violated his own wise knowledge in his lifestyle himself. He didn't practice it. And so because of that, all of this began to, to just pile in on top of him. And these, the women that he had in his court, he began to let them worship their, their gods or bring their gods in, and they, they encouraged him. And so he started worshiping other gods. And this, this great god, who should have been enough for Solomon, uh, when he first appeared to Solomon and asked Solomon what he wanted, would have, been, would have been enough. But all of this wealth and splendor and wisdom, and it says of Solomon that he loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He chose to love all of these exotic women in his life and hang on to that love rather than sever those ties. And it says, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. Now, if every of you have raised a, a daughter who acted like a princess, 
you know that they're, that attitude is, is quite significant, really, you know. It's like, in fact, some of them are called princesses as, as a nickname. Oh, you're such a princess. Oh, you're so precious. You know, and then they start acting like a princess, and that's not, well, I don't know how many of these thousand women thought they were princesses, but can you imagine? Usually there can only be like one princess. Well, there were hundreds of princesses here. So Solomon had his hands full. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So, it says that Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, not, not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon, Thus all he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrifices to their God. So can you imagine if you were a, still a fairly devout Hebrew and you were giving all of these taxes and your supplies of this kingdom that just was insatiable in its desire and needs for, for money and materials and supplies and expansion, and then it started going to these foreign temples to build these foreign places. And you had a heart for God alone, and yet you knew that the leader was giving this money to all these other things. Wouldn't that begin to cause you to be a little upset? Well, it did. And so uh, we're going to learn next week the legacy that Solomon left with that and how that destroyed so many things. It didn't happen in Solomon's lifetime, but eventually it would. And so, that brings us to another book that Solomon wrote, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to discover that at, when Solomon had gotten through all of this in his life, this is what he concluded. Even the wisdom that he had was not enough for Solomon. These are some of the things he included from Ecclesiastes. He concluded that all the world had to offer was simply vanity and could not satisfy a person in the end. All that the world had to offer could not satisfy. He thought that his own wisdom could make him happy, but it did not. He thought that pleasure and merriment could satisfy him, but it did not. He thought that food and wine could please him, but it did not. He thought that wealth could make him content, but it did not. In essence, he's saying, I've done it all, and there is only one thing that is constant upon which you can depend on in your entire life. And here we go, the wise guy. What is that one thing that we can all depend on for our entire life? Take away everything else, Burn it all off. Forget about it. All your resolutions. Whatever it is your heart's desire is. If you took all of that. And this was a man who had all of it. And he had more than any of us could ever imagine. What would be the one thing that Solomon concluded was the most important thing of all. 
and would hold us and keep us and satisfy us for our entire lives. What was it? Fear God and obey his commands. Fear God and obey his commands. That's what it all boiled down to. That's it. A very simple phrase. Fear God, obey his commands. If you don't write down one other resolution for 2014 in your plans for your life, if you don't write down anything else, there's only one that you really, really need to guide you, not only throughout the coming year, but all the years to come in your life. It's that one thing. Fear God and obey his commands. Now that word fear is respect, reverence, awe, honor, worship. That's what it means. And obey. Obey what he has to say. Because the third time that God appeared to Solomon, he came to him and he said, Solomon, look what you've done. You know, you asked for wisdom. That was great. I gave you all of those things. I told you at the dedication of the temple that you were to maintain and keep your heart straight with me. But you haven't done it. And now all of this that has been gained will be lost because you failed to fear me and obey my commands. A simple, a simple action. Granted, we all know that's not easy to do. It's, in fact, one of the hardest things in life to do is to exclusively and completely fear God and honor his commands. But if we do that, my friends, Taking it from the words of a man who has had everything in life that life has to offer. Your soul satisfaction, and I mean, I mean that in two words. S-O-L-E as in your only satisfaction. And I also mean it in another way. Your S-O-U-L satisfaction, your soul satisfaction, comes in fearing God and obeying his commands. If you will do that, and make that the focus of your life. Solomon himself is saying, that is the only thing that satisfies. It sort of is a takeoff from Mark 8, chapter 36, Mark 8, chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what should we give up in exchange for the soul? Of our lives. So that's it. One thing to take with you today. One thing and one thing only. If you can take that with you. And carry that with you. The entire rest of your life. If you put it wherever you can see it. On your mirror. In your car. Wherever you go. In the kitchen. On your refrigerator. Fear God. And obey his commands. Let's pray. Father, you have laid it out for us in terms of how we will find the most satisfaction in life. Regardless of what happens to us, what we have, what we don't have, how we feel about who we are and how we look, how we, how we act, how we are, there's only one thing that you've shown us that will truly satisfy and that is that we would 
honor you, love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, and that we would follow and obey you, what it is you want us to do in our lives. So I pray for myself, I pray for each one here today, that as we begin this new year, that we would truly only have one resolution that we desire in our lives, and that is to fear you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Barry to